Good morning, good morning, Grace. Good morning. All right, that's how better. Sorry. That's not good. Um, welcome, those who are new people here, those who are watching online. And I thank God to be here today. For those who don't know me, um, Elder George Kenyanjui. And I thank God every time I had to stand here and present his word. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be looking at who he is in the fullness of Godhead. Uh, this has been a big debate in Christian circle, but we're going to talk about various things. And when you enter in, you, will, you got a bulletin at the back. There is a lot of blanks for you to fill in. I will encourage you to do so because this is one of the controversial subjects since 325 B.C. And seven different councils have been held to discuss about it. Uh, before we go on, let's pray and we thank God for this time. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the day that you granted to us. We thank you for good health. We thank you for the breath of life. This morning, as we continue to go through your word, we ask that you come minister to each and every heart here today. Remove the distractions. We ask that you be with us today. Speak through me so I may communicate what you need people to hear today. And Father, let you be glorified in everything we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, last week, actually, from December 3rd, you heard from... Elder James Schaefer, about the omniscient one, whose child is this, talking about Christ all-knowing. And on December 10th, you heard from Elder George Honokoi talking about welcome Christ, the omnipotent one, all-powerful. Um, today, we're going to talk about welcome Christ, the one who is the fullness of Godhead, and next week, uh, Elder Fay will be talking, Dennis Fay will be talking about Welcome Christ, the Everlasting God. That is the Advent series that you're going to be listening to. Please don't come here at AM, 10 a.m. next week. As Elder Fay said, we're going to be here at 5.30 p.m. for 5? 5? Mm, 5 p.m. Sorry, I'm confusing you. Sorry. That's why I don't do announcement. Um, let's get to the scripture today. Um, the scripture is very clear who Christ is, but debates have been going on. Let's look at first, uh, book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 20 from Amplified Scripture. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created and exist through him, that is, by his activity. And for him, notice, not for you, for him, or not for me, for him. And he himself existed, eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. And he himself existed and therefore all things, before all things, and in him all things hold together. He, he is the controlling cohesive force of the universe. He is also the head 
the life source and the reader of the body of Christ, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself would occupy the first place. He will stand supreme, and he, he, is, he will be preeminent or preeminent in everything. For it appraised the Father for all the fullness of deity, the sum total of his essence and all perfection, powers and attributes to dwell permanently in him, the Son. And through the, in well, excuse me, and through the intervention of the Son to reconcile all things to himself, making peace with the believers through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's a lot of information. If you didn't know, this is the best scripture ever written in the Bible. Telling you who Jesus is and who he is not. And what he does. So, from what we just had, the first point on your bulletin had to do with the fullness of God in Christ, according to Colossians 2, 9. But before I get there, I'm going to give you a story. This story is from Donald Gray Barnhouse, the former preacher of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. When he was a young man, he and his buddy would go downtown Philadelphia, and he would start, one of them would start looking at the sky and say, there it is, and the other one would say, it is not. And they keep doing this until a lot of people gathered around them. And when they had enough people, they would pull back, and they go stand in the building, start laughing at the people, looking at nothing in the sky. You know how we, we creatures like to follow even when we don't know what we are following about. And later on, when he became a preacher of 10th Presbyterian Church, he says, this is what he said. This little incident is a good illustration of all the earth-born religions. People talk about having faith, and they tell you to look into a direction where there is absolutely nothing. Some people are so desperate in need of seeing something that they will look until they are almost blind, yet never catching a glimpse of anything that is real. It is at this point Paul writes to the church of Corinth, uh, Corsi, or Corossi, and tells them, do not be swayed by invention of men, uh, philosophy from men, uh, holding of holy days, food that you should touch, food that you should not touch. And he tells them, you are complete in Christ Jesus because in him abound the fullness of Godhead. And from there we get our point here. We're talking about the divine nature. These have been a subject of controversy since the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D. And after that, there are other Sikh councils that went on until 787 A.D. All of them were discussing about two things. The deity of Christ, the nature of Christ, physical nature, and whether the Holy Spirit is a third person of Godhead or he is a force. Yeah, they call it it. This discussion has been going on for a long time. So Paul is writing to remove this mythology and let them know that 
this verse emphasizes the full deity reside in Christ Jesus and affirm his divine nature. This verse also he talks about, tell them that the divinity of Christ is in him. He is no less human. He is no less God. Now, you and I, we cannot process this mind, you know, as little mind. Don't ask me how that works. It's called mysterious. And God is a God of mystery. And if I try to fathom all that, I'll have a headache. But by faith, I trust what God says in his word. That's what counts. So, this verse declares that all the fullness of God, nature, and a deity reside in Christ's body. You and I cannot even understand that. It underscores the central role of Christ in Christian faith in incarnation of God himself. And that's what we are sitting here, celebrating. That he left heaven, came here. He didn't diminish who he was as God. He added two. Need to get that straight. Jesus Christ was through God when he walked on this earth. When was that in Mary's womb? He was still Jesus. He was still God in in all fullness. But he added what we call the flesh. So he can understand your misery. And be able to the sympathetic, compassionate high priest walking in your shoes. So he can be able to sit at the right hand of God and be able to intercede on your behalf as the advocate who have gone through it and died on your behalf. And yet you have not died. Did you get all that? So, what is the meaning of this? The phrase, fullness of deity, refers to complete and diminished presence of God in Christ. This declares that Jesus is not just part of God or less divine being, but fully and entirely God himself. That's what he's talking about. So, what is the, the significance of this, so to speak, an implication? This doctrine is deeply rooted in Christ, in Christian theology, and it particularly emphasizes the writing of Apostle Paul, saying that Jesus Christ is fully, in full nature, and the character of God is embodied in him. The theological implication here is this, that the triad of the Trinity of God, where Jesus is understood as one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, it affirms that Jesus possesses all attributes of God, Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, and eternal existence. He never ceased to be God. He decided to suppress his deity whenever he wanted to. Because remember when they tried to stone Jesus and he disappeared? Poof! They couldn't see him. He used his attributes as God. Yeah, you may say that was convenient. But it wasn't time for him to die yet. So what is the significance of this? This belief is central to Christian faith because it establishes Jesus' authority and the effectiveness of redemptive work. If it wasn't, you and I would be in our sins. But because of that, we are saved by his grace. If Christ was not fully God, 
His sacrifice would not have been infinite value to atone for our sin whatsoever. So, according to Ephesians 1.7, it says that in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That is his humanity sustained by his deity. We need to get that straight. These have been a battle going on for eternity, and it's going to continue to. So, incarnation, referred to badre form. Now we talk about his human nature. Highlight the mystery of incarnation, where Jesus is fully man and fully God. You and I, with our fecal brains, we cannot understand how you can have 100% Christ in, in deity and 100% human in human form. In one person. You may say that's a multiple personality. No, it's not. That is your view. <laughs> but from God's perspective, that's not how it works. So this was a debate in Council of Sanicea. Since the body is bad, there is no way Jesus could have the body and be God. And now, the problem with this is, did you know who were presiding among all these councils? The emperors of Rome. The debating side says Jesus is fully God, and the other one says cannot be. So he sit there and they discuss, and then eventually they affirm that Jesus Christ is really God and little man. All those seven councils. But this doctrine has been under attack. Even today, people want to say Jesus Christ was not a historical person. The question is very problematic for them because this is what I asked the question. Was Pontius Pilate a historic person? Yes. They say, yes. Okay. So Pontius Pilate was crazy, crucifying somebody who was not there. That's a good question. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Hmm. So when Pontius Pilate was saying, I'm going to give you Barabbas, and Jesus is not sinful, he was talking to himself. And the crowd he created, he was hallucinating. I said, oh. So they don't want, they said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> so this, see, it doesn't count. It's what we call convenient religious belief. Relativity, that's what we call it. Mystery of incarnation, the doctrine is the heart of Christian understanding of incarnation, where Jesus Christ is both fully man and fully God. It is a unique event where divine nature was united with human nature in one person. The implication are two reasons that are important. Jesus Christ is perfect mediator between God and humans, being fully part of the both realms. He can talk to God in heaven because he is still in heaven. Remember he is omniscient? He's still there, and he's still here. Omnipresence, there, still here. In the flesh. So you can see him, you can touch him, and he can address your need. So, is based on that, notice what it says, the slide there. He could be thirsty because he was fully human. But he could walk on water because he was fully God. Did you get that? Yes. So you may ask, who was thirsty? His humanity was thirsty. Who was walking on water? His deity was walking in water. 
That's the best extra, ex, explanation. Probably you have never figured it, but there it is. Not only that, Jesus Christ breaks the chain of sin and bondage because of his death, atoning sacrifice. The authenticity of Jesus' human experience, suffering, death, underscore the power of sacrifice for our salvation. Yes, that's why you get redeemed and you get saved because of what he did on the cross. So what is the historical context of this? Go back to what I just said a few minutes ago, that the heresies were being permeated that Christ is not, Jesus is not human, and therefore he must be in a fatum because there is no way he can contain the body because you need to understand in Greek mythology and the Roman system, the body was evil. And it's passion. So they spend a lot of time even burning themselves to remove passion on their body. You know, with the candles. You can study this history for yourself. Because that's why they build towers. They can go on top that they don't want to with other people because they're, 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 well, they're sinful. Now, the problem they had is this. You can build a tower. But remember, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, behold, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? They still have the heart up there. So they carry sin with them up there. It has nothing to do with the people they are with. As they say, 90% is what happened inside. 10% is outside influence. You, the problem of sin is here, not out there. Yeah, you may have a little influence, 10%. The less you had to do with what I had to do, 90% to decide what you're going to do with it. And this is what happens when we follow religion and philosophy, which doesn't have anything to give in your life. Then, the next part is talk about Christ is the image and the visible of God, according to Colossians 1.15. So when we talk about image, we're talking about reflection of the real thing. In essence, we're talking about Christ was walking on this earth, representing God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. That's why he could tell Philip, Philip, I have been with you three and a half years, and you're asking me where is the Father. What's wrong with you, Philip? You have seen me, you have seen the Father. But I'm not going to leave you like orphans. When I go to my father's house, I'm going to send you periclete. That's the word for Greek. The one who come alongside you to help you when I'm not here because I'm not here anymore. He is the same as me, but he has a job to do. He has different functionality. He come to convict you. He come to remind you everything that I've told you. And he energizes you to do the work that you should be doing the right way. That's what Jesus is talking about. So, what does that mean? That means this. Jesus is revealing God himself in this earth for us to be able to relate in our physical sense. This verse shows that Jesus is a visible representation of God, making him known to us. The phrase has two aspects into it. One had to do with visible representation. And you can see uh, that right there, there is one man one side and God one side because of separation from God and of Eden. We did that ourselves, sin through sin. And Jesus come, put this cross to bridge the gap between man and God. That's what we call making peace. 
reconciling even the world that is cursed because of sin of human being. Uh, also, we have what we call the knowledge of God so that you can understand by seeing Christ doing it so that you can do it. Christ came to demonstrate to you how to live life. So we cannot say that we don't have an example, do we? That's the whole point. Without sin. So, ladies and gentlemen, not only that, Christ is preeminent in all creation. The, word, the Bible used the, 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 word, the human language, but not necessarily accuracy. It's the firstborn of all creation. It signifies Christ's authority and preeminence in the universe. There is a religious group that says Jesus was made. Yes? Because of this verse. But that's what they're talking about. It's showing, it's showing the length. Because the word that is said begotten have nothing to do with giving birth. It has to do with the word means monogamous, meaning special, unique, the only of a kind. Jesus Christ, the only of a kind. He is not made, but he's trying to refer to us with human knowledge that we can be able to understand. They are God's translation of the scripture. It's not necessarily that accurate. Then we have what we call, number one, the hypothetic union. No, I'm going theological for you right now. So, now, this is a term that he used to reflect how human nature and deity are joined together, yet they are both separate, they are not commingled, and they are not mixed together. Uh, did you hear what I just said? The human nature in one person, the deity in the one person, and they don't mix Oh, you guys say, that's a crazy person. No, you know, crazy. That's how it works. 100% God, 100% human. That's the word, hypothetic union, was coined by our found church fathers to reflect what they were trying to signify by it. Now, I put a little diagram there for, to give you a little analogy so you can understand what we're talking about here. Uh, this doctrine is about God becoming human in the person of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of incarnation holds that Jesus took, God took on human flesh. This act is seen as ultimate way God made himself known to humanity, bridging the gap between human and divine. Hypothetic union is a term describing how God the Son took on human nature, yet remained fully God at the same time, Jesus always had been God, according to John 8, 58 and 10, 30. But the, during incarnation, Jesus became flesh, according to John 1, 14. And he became flesh, and we beheld his glory, full of truth and grace. In fact, we are reading the book of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. You can remove the parenthesis and go to John 1.14, because that continuation of the same thing, without missing a bit. Just demonstrating how this works. In summary, so to speak, hypostatic union teaches that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine, and there is no mixture or dilution of each nature that he is one united person forever. When you go to heaven, you see Jesus come. Yeah, why do I know? Because when he appeared after he was elected, he was showing Thomas the scar. Hey, Thomas, you don't believe? Nah, here. He said, oh, I believe. 
Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Now, don't ask me. I don't know whether we're going to materialize like Jesus because remember, the windows were closed, the door was shut, and he appeared inside. I don't know whether we can go through walls. That's probably a benefit when we go to heaven. I don't know. So don't ask me. But it's what it is. Now, but it's a cool, it's a cool thing to do, you know. Go through walls, you know. Now, this also provided us accessibility to God. When Jesus died on the cross, if you remember, the temple curtain was cut in two half all the way, opening the holies of holies, saying, Dennis, George, Captain, Athria, Janae, Barry, now you are, can go kneel before God and plead your case for yourself. You don't need a mediator. You don't need a high priest. You don't need a person in a booth. You're telling them, oh, Father, I sinned this week. I did this and I did this. Uh, would you forgive me? No. This is between now and God. And that's what the Bible says. Every knee shall bow down before God and confess everything done in the body. There is no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Oh, my father was the best preacher. Good luck. No, no. This is you and God. You're going to have to confess for yourself. Can't hang on mama and daddy. Nope, this is you. Oh, my dad did this for me. That's why I'm sinful. No, you know, it's not all that. It's between you and God. You have your own conscience. So, you need to understand. So, now we have access to the throne of God. Through the, though this is incomprehensible to us, the book of Hebrews 4 16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with a confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. God is specializes in bringing beauty from the ashes and turning trial into triumph. He can take your brokenness, your pain, your failure, and work to them together for good. Even in most challenging circumstances, God's perfect orchestration can bring healing, restoration, and greater purpose, sense of purpose, according to Romans 8, 28 says, and we know with great confidence that God is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. I don't see amen. I hear people just quiet. What's wrong? You don't believe this stuff? Why, if you don't believe, no wonder you're not getting anything. The Bible says, whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who believe in him. That's the scripture. And the Lord, you should raise your hands and your feet and say, hallelujah, Jesus. That's what it is. So don't be quiet. This is mystery. This is, this, this is one of the doctrines that people are fighting because they know. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And whoever has been set free is free indeed. So you should be excited every time you wake up. Even if things are falling apart. God is still on the throne. So what's the theological implication? The theological implication is this, ladies and gentlemen. This belief underscore Christian doctrine of Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is fully God and fully man, it also implicates that, implies that for salvation, as fullness of God in Christ makes possible to reconcile humanity to God. 
Unless that happened, it won't happen if Christ is not part of that. Then we talked about the role in creation. Now, I can, this message I can preach it for the next three months. You know that? Amen. There is a lot of information here. I'm just grossing through. I'm not even doing it justice. Now, universe. The Bible says all things were created by him and for him and with him sustained them together and grew them together. Now, sorry, if you're an environmentalist here, I'm sorry. The earth is not falling apart. It may melt, doesn't matter. Because if you read the book of Revelation, you say he's going to destroy it a third at a time. And he is holding it together. This earth is moving at 67,000 miles an hour. Did you know that? Spinning. And you can't feed it. And the scientists have said, hey, the earth is following the rules of mathematics. It's a miracle. Of course it's a miracle. God is controlling it. I don't lose sleep when I go to bed because I know God is sitting in the throne. So some of us are just looking at the White House. Oh, too bad. <laughs> White House is not going to help you. God is controlling the universe, and all things were created for him, and by him, and to him, they are grew together. Does that mean we, don't, we are not responsible for the universe? No. It just means we don't worship it. We worship the person sustaining it. So we need to understand that concept and grow to love it, because that's what it is all about. And if you don't get that straight, you're going to be messed up. And all Paul is writing to them, saying, guys... Don't worship things. Don't worship philosophy. You need to understand who God is and what he can do for you because one holding together even the neutrons and all the nerves and cells in your body and how they function is because of God. You didn't wake yourself this morning. God did. Some of us don't even think about it. You're breathing. Now, if I come and hold your nose and your mouth together, you start kicking because you're missing the breath. But when... You're still breathing naturally. You don't even think about it. But who is doing that? God. When your body tells you that you need to go use the restroom, who is doing that? God. These simple things, they are not simple. God is holding them together. So God is still at work, even when you think he is not working. When you're sleeping, God is working. Because he's not a man, you get tired. So we need to get these things straight in our lives. Now, look at that. This chart there, it has, you may not see it completely, but I'm going to read a few of them. Christ is superior, superior one. Christ is superior to all. He is the image of invisible God, Colossians 1, 3. The next one, it says, Christ is superior in position. He is the head of the body of Christ, Colossians 1, 18. Christ is superior in order. He is before all things, Colossians 1, 17. Christ is superior in resurrection. He is the firstborn of the dead. Colossians 1.18. Christ is superior in creation. By him all things were created. Colossians 1.16. Christ is superior in power. By, all, by him all things consist. Colossians 1.17. And finally, Christ is superior in content. All fullness dwell in him. Colossians 1.19. I can preach 
The whole of this I can preach for the next nine weeks. Just that. So, I don't know whether they're not going to allow me to do that, but it's what it is. No. <laughs> so, Colossians 1.15 is a compact verse, but rich in theological significance. It encapsulates the key Christian doctrine beliefs about the nature of Christ, his relationship to God, his role in cosmos, actually the world. These doctrines are central to understanding Christian doctrine and the nature of divine presence in the New Testament. That's what it's all about. And we need to get that straight in our system. Now, number three, the pressure of God's fullness in Christ. God was happy and delighted that Jesus Christ is carrying that whole deity in this earth so we can see how God had worked. Unfortunately, the Pharisees didn't get it. They say, hey, the boy from the hood is here. Yeah. Mary, what do you live in the good neighborhood? You need to start a historical Jewish community. He was the lowest down there. So this guy didn't go to the Harvard or the Pharisee. So who are you? How did you get this wisdom? Yeah. No. So they just see from physical nature. So they were contending with him. They were so frustrated. They sent all the best lawyers to ask questions. But Jesus can lead their mind. So he asked his question to the one. So they couldn't answer the question. So, because they're going to incriminate themselves if they answer the question. So they kept quiet. If you have the wisdom of Jesus, you're going to ask a question of your own. And they're going to be left flabbergasted. That's what you should be. That's what he said we should do because we need to be wise. Divine nature. Notice reconciling everything. This verse underscores that God is good pressure to find fullness, his fullness and drawing Christ, indicating deliberate plan. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to do something, Substantial. You're going to have to plan, don't you? Now, where do you think that came from? God. He created you to be a human being who assesses information and gave your brain to process information and have a proper planning. But in your planning, it says, need to include God in it. Not just planning and then say, God, come in here. No, God, get in here, help me to plan. That's the whole point. Not the other way around. So, in a book of Matthew, when John was baptizing Jesus, he said, behold, this is my son who I'm well beloved. I'm happy with him. So there is that about reconciliation. Notice the verse what it says here that all these from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians 5.18. That's your job and my job. Since now we're in Christ, we need to bring others to Christ. The word to reconcile means peacemakers. We are not supposed to go destroy the world. We're supposed to go tell them about the Jesus so that we can bring them to the kingdom so that we can change their hearts. And when you change their hearts, you're going to change their worldview. Unfortunately, we start the other way around. We want to tell them about the darkness without them even knowing who the darkness are about. We need to bring them into the kingdom. And then when they come into the kingdom, they can, t- they can see the treasures of the kingdom and they desire them. There is no way we're going to confuse a bigot to understand things that you're talking about unless they're educated. The Bible says that the natural man doesn't understand that spiritual stuff. So you can't condemn them if they don't know anything. So Christ also is reconciling the world, cosmos. That's why we get our word world, because the word means the things of the world, not necessarily the physical world itself. Talking about things and the mentality and the worldview. That's what we're talking about. And 
making Christ known, God, Christ is making God known to those who are in this universe so they can have a proper relationship with God because Christianity is not a religion, although it's classified as such. Christianity is a fellowship with a living being who come in to live within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between Christian, religion and Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. You can classify however you want, but it doesn't matter. The point is, it's a relationship that you talk to somebody who is alive. Notice all other religions. They're all dead. Now, if you're talking to dead people, I have a problem with you. You're worshiping spiritism. We worship God who lives in the city that is God, the head of God. That's the whole point of this verse, so we can understand what he is trying to communicate. Then number four, Christ, not only that, he is seeing the Father. You see the Father through the Son. That's what Philip said. Philip, you guys have been with you for three and a half years, day and night, and you don't know the Father? The Father is me, I'm in him. We do the thing together. When Father is... Is doing something, I'm doing something. And the work of the Father, remember what he said? And every man shall not live with the, word of, with the bread alone, but every word from, proceed from the mouth of God. Yeah, that's what he's talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. There is what we call unity. Unity of the Godhead. Now, I want you to understand a little thing about the Godhead. There is God the Father who planned the plan of salvation. There is God the Son who agreed to die for that plan. That's what we call fashionalities. All responsibility, if you will. And there is God, the Holy Spirit, who decided to come to live within you, to convict you, to guide you, to give you the strength to do the things that you need to do right. Notice, but they're all cooperating together. That's why we, as a body of Christ, need to get this image in our lives so we, can, we have different giftedness that we can use to do the work. That's the example here, ladies and gentlemen. So, when you look at Christ, you know how God operates. When Christ walked on earth and he healed people, he was walking with God, the Father, and God, the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand this. We're trying to show all the elements that goes with who God is. In this say, he also shows us revelation of who God is, shows the, the, the Father's character. When you see Jesus, you see God's character. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1 talks about that he has expressed image of the Father. Notice the word express image. It didn't say like. It's talking about exactness versus likeness. Those are two different things. That man look like. That means we are saying they resemble so and so. No, we're talking about exactness here. Two different words. So Jesus, performing miracle, he is demonstrating what the Father does. So we need to understand that part of it. It's very important to get it. Not only that, Christ is the head of the church. Elders, deacons, I am getting tired of hearing George Kenya Jewish ministry. So and so ministry. Did they die for the church? No. We are managers. Of the kingdom of God, it doesn't belong to us. If we are employees of the kingdom, if you will. Therefore, we can't say, my church. You don't got no church. You didn't die for it. It's God's church. It's Christ's church. 
So we are held as possible and our feet need to be put under the fire to understand we have a head who is Jesus Christ and we have to do the work that belongs to Christ and if it doesn't belong to Christ, it needs to be stopped. Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, we elders, we need to understand our responsibility is to do the work of Christ. Excuse me, I may fall here. But... These labels of calling ourselves the ministry of so-and-so, the ministry of so-and-so, is showing our selfish flesh. Because Christ is the one who died for the church, not you. They have known, you should in, be insignificant when people look at it, they should be seeing Christ, not you. That's what he's talking about here. He is the head of the church and establishes, he nourishes, and he gives it the power to do the work. That is what it's all about. Leadership. We are other shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. And we don't have any power except the power God has dedicated to us. Nothing more, nothing less. Then we have victory over death. I am not going to die spiritually. Physically, yes. I'm not worried about that. It's appointed for one man to live and to die. And after that, judgment. That's the book of Hebrews. But remember Jesus resurrected. And when he resurrected, he is talking about you need to have a guarantee. He is showing you if you believe in him, you shall resurrect too as he did. Therefore, when the people ask you, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? Because number one, Jesus resurrected and he said, the dead have been defeated. We are talking about spiritual death. We are not talking about physical death. You're going to have to die physically because that. Out of, from dust you came, from dust you return. Remember? That's what it is. We are talking about what the book of Corinthians talks about, about that death is defeated because of what Christ did. He, res- he rose again to show he is the firstborn of those who resurrected, that when he rose, Lazarus, he was saying, ask his, his sister, uh, do you believe in me? Yes. I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come forth. That was a demonstration what was going to happen to all those who believe in him. Not only that, I know that I'm going to heaven because the Bible says this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to my father's house. And when I go to my father's house, I'm going to prepare a house for you. And when I'm done, I'm coming to get you. Therefore, I'm not worried whenever I see a believer going to the next. We're going to mourn because we can't see them anymore. But remember, they're going to heaven if they have Jesus because their work is done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So, now... Application. And in him you have been made complete. Paul adds this, that this means that manifestation of God, life and death in body form, is this place where humans find completion. We need Jesus, nothing else, because with Christ we are complete. Are you getting this? Now, this is, Dennis should know this. And all those sailors. Ship, ship, rigged, ready to sail. And you see, there is a boat there. There is a little information there. It's telling you this, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you can end, somebody tell you, hey, I'm going to Cocoon. I have my boat, and we can go together. By the, by the way, it's leaking. Would you go with them? No, because common sense tells you, 
going to go down with it. I am not going down with you. So what Paul is using nautical term, he is saying this. When you and I are born again, ladies and gentlemen, into the family of God, we are complete in Christ. The word complete is a nautical term. Please don't miss what he's talking about. It is conveying the idea that you are sheep sheep fully legged, and you don't need anything. You don't need to be added. Some of us are addicted to this, addicted to that, and we are still in Jesus. We need to get this out of our system because we are fully legged and ready to go. You are completely Christ. You don't need things from the world. You don't need this religion and that religion and that piece of action to get where you need to go. But when you get out of the, when you go to the boat and you see how leaks, you don't go into it because you're going to die. Now, the bottom line is this, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, that Christ has given you all the things that you need. He is adequate in your life, and sufficiency is in your life. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You don't need circumcision. You don't need eating this meat and not avoiding that one to be a good Christian. No. Want to worship on Sunday? Good for you. You want to worship in the moon? Good for you. If you want to worship without wearing a, your wife beater? Good for you. If you want to wear socks to come to church or not? Good for you. If you want to worship on Wednesday? Good for you. The bottom line is the heart. The attitude of the heart to who you worship God, the Father. Got it? Now, the next thing is, in him we are complete. The same thing is talking about we don't need anything. We must depend in extreme sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ because he is the ruler of our life and our soul. As he ruled the universe, he should rule our hearts and our mind, ladies and gentlemen. And then it's talking about true completeness in Christ. You're not going to find anything else beside who God is because there's nothing the world can give you that more than Christ has already given to you. You need to get that straight. And finally, he is the head all that there is, Lura's principality, and he is in charge, and you and I are not. I'm happy I'm not God. I don't have to worry about things. So I can follow God, and I'll be okay. If I don't follow God and become God myself, I'm, we have a problem. Now that's what he's talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Are you in this place, ladies and gentlemen, and you have never received Jesus Christ, you are missing out. If you're in this room and you're hearing about Christ, he came, this celebration of, of Christmas is about the gift of life eternal through Jesus Christ. So if you're in this room today and you have never received Jesus Christ, you can talk to us as elders and you can receive Christ. It's not that complicated. You just have to tell, hey, I'm a sinner. And I acknowledge you that I'm a sinner. And I need help. You'll be helped. So let's pray before we go. And uh, those uh, elders and prayer group can come as I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the salvation that you have for us. And we can rely on you because of your adequacy and sufficiency and your allure over our hearts and our lives. Today we commit ourselves to you as we celebrate this time of Christmas. Help us to remember the gift in the Christmas tree should not be the reflection of who we are. But the gift in our hearts, you, should be what we we are all about. Today, as we go to our respective home, be with us. Give us safety. Give us safety for those who are traveling. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>